You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. It's Tuesday, so it's time for It's My Money, brought to you by Brenthurst Wealth. And this week I'm talking to the Managing Director of Brenthurst Wealth in Cape Town, and that's Brian Butcher. Brian... The headline is why we continue to construct and advise offshore strategies. And some people will now be saying, but you've done that before. But I think it's very, very important that we do it again, especially in the light of a conversation that I had yesterday with another interviewee, uh, which I'll tell you about later. But anyway, you're still sticking to your guns, which you've been advising for eight years now. Good afternoon, Lindsay. Um, Yeah, look, Lindsay, I mean, I think, you know, international markets had a bumpy year in 2019. The S&P 500 was up 30%. The Nasdaq was up 35%. The Euro stocks 50 25%. And over one, three, and five years, and even 10 years, in fact, almost all international markets leave the JSC Austria index trailing behind in both US dollars and rands. You know, there's no doubt uh, investors who diversified globally achieved substantially better returns than those who remained in the local markets over the last uh, five-plus years or so. Yes, indeed. And you go on to say in your article, offshore investments considered by investors as a key part of their investment strategies do so for several reasons. Number one, diversification. Diversification. A lot of people have said to me, or rather sort of lateral thinking interviewees have said to me, diversification for diversification's sake is not the way to go. What is your view on diversification? Lindsay, you know, Although the JSC also has, has, has certainly got some quality dual-listed st- uh, companies or stocks, you know, our market is so small, uh, which, which we all very well know. I mean, we're less than 1% of the global investment opportunities out there, or we represent less than 1% of global investment opportunities. And as a result, we're missing out on industries currently not available in South Africa. Uh, just a couple of examples would be technology, biotech, and electronics. Um, and our lo- local market comprises of approximately 100 companies, which is very, very small when you consider you can get access to more than 2,500 investable companies on the MSCI All Country World Index. So diversifying internationally allows accessibility to growth benefits from mega drivers such as industrialization, urbanization, digital advances, and growing consumerism, which we, to a big extent, do not have accessibility to on the local stock market. And of course, the fourth industrial revolution is a, a gathering pace. And I was talking to uh, somebody earlier today, actually, about this is a, a, an industrial revolution that is expanding so rapidly that you can't ignore it. And in fact, every time I do an interview about market movements, I, I'll talk about Apple or Tesla or Alphabet or other such companies. And I'm talking about the fourth industrial revolution. It's gaining such pace, you cannot ignore it. Absolutely, Lindsay. Um, you know, it's such a such a big part and, and mega drive in terms of uh, returns. And, and as you mentioned earlier, I mean, some of the big, well-known stocks that have done exceptionally well in terms of uh, adding some some value to clients' portfolios. If you don't have a piece of the pie, you're certainly missing out on on huge investment opportunities. And of course, valuations in some instances are high, and then you still got to go and specifically look for for areas of opportunity. But, um, you know, without partly some of that in your portfolio, I think you're missing out on a, a massive opportunity in terms of growth. Um, and, and we've seen it in the numbers. Yes, and continue to see it in the numbers. In fact, it's one of the major drivers of the uh, 11-year bull market in the United States of America. Point number two, optimization. What do you mean by that? Look, Lindsay, I mean, the average South African investor probably has about 20 to 30% offshore exposure in their portfolio, usually via 
you know, their pension or retirement benefits, which is restricted by Regulation 28, which we all know very well. But investors with a higher global spending requirement, um, you know, can typically justify a higher offshore allocation. And by using a risk-reward model based um, on individual risk profiles and financial objectives, we can more accurately construct portfolios to ensure optimal exposure to offshore allocation and thereby improving long-term performance. Um, you know, in, in general, however, whatever strategic allocation is deemed appropriate, we certainly suggest a higher offshore allocation uh, than what is probably appropriate per individual based on the elevated level of economic and political risks facing SA at the moment. Number three, protection against declining purchasing power. And I know exactly what you mean there without even reading the piece that comes below that headline. And that is the devaluation of the South African rand. And if you take just a normal year where nothing weird goes on with South African politics or with the US dollar, the fact is that we are going to depreciate 6% a year. I think that's the interest rate differential calculation, something like 6% a year. So that means we've got 6% less purchasing power. Lindsay, you know, forecasting is probably the most difficult skill to master and at times impossible. Um, you know, the number of variables at play are just, just numerous. But the RAND is no exception, especially over the short term. It's, it's one of the most volatile currencies in the world. And over longer periods, however, trends tend to emerge. And the RAND, as you rightfully pointed out, I mean, you know, if I have a look, I did some uh, numbers in terms of the last 20 years. And on average, over the last 20 years, the rand is depreciated on average by about 4% per annum. Yeah. But if you increase that number to 50 years, so a little bit of a longer period, that spikes to 7% per annum. So, you know, as you point out, I mean, and, and it's obvious. I mean, as most goods we, we, we pay for, whether it be fuel, food, food, healthcare, technology, electronics, most of that is priced in foreign currencies. The cost of these goods are influenced by the RAND's strength or weakness. And, and so, you know, it makes sense to hedge against the long-term change in price considering the long-term weakening of the RAND. And that's probably not going to change. When I first visited South Africa in 1988, early 1988, I remember looking at a screen... I was over here to, uh, for a sort of a job interview, and I can remember seeing the dollar rand was 195. And of course, there was yeah. also the dual currency system of the financial rand as well. So we've gone from, let's call it 2 to 15 in, in that period, with lots of peaks and troughs in the meanwhile. Let's move on now to point number four, lack of structural reform and political will. Now we're getting into areas of controversy that really shouldn't worry uh, asset managers like yourself. You should be doing other things, but you cannot ignore what is going on politically and within the macroeconomy. Absolutely, Lindsay. I mean, you know, although most South Africans remain hopeful of a recovery, you know, um, the structural hindrances such as ESCOM and other flailing state-owned enterprises and the corruption in South Africa are no secret. And as a result of that, constructing adaptable investment strategies to protect your wealth is not negative or un unpatriotic as far as we're concerned, um, but rather, you know, it, 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 it's, a, it's a matter of capital will flow to where it's welcome. And South Africa desperately needs a boost of confidence to welcome capital to our markets. And as a result of that, we need, uh, uh, you know, we need to see structural reform and a commitment to, to cutting back on wasted spending and, and, and consequences for corruption. 
Yes, indeed. Uh, now, the next one, final point that you're making here, if I can just scroll my screen up, is the decoupling of South African equity markets from emerging market peers. In, in other words, they've taken the high road and we've taken the low road, relatively speaking. I think that's what you're trying to say. Yeah, absolutely, Lindsay. Uh, you know, South African equities have decoupled from our emerging market peers since Minister Nantle Nene was fired in 2015. And although we received decent flows into our bond markets, We've seen an excess of plus minus 500 billion flow out of our equity markets over the past five years or so. And the underperformance of our equity market is approximately 2.5 trillion rand when compared to our emerging market peers, according to economist Mike Schussler, who recently released that graph that I sent through to you, yes. comparing the two and how they've decoupled. Um, you know, and this has been a savings destruction for local investors. Um, if, if, if one considers the, the sheer magnitude of those numbers um, and, and the impact that it's had on our local market. Yeah, I would urge you, if, if anyone wants to have this conversation between myself and Brian embellished a little bit, uh, go to strictlybusinesspodcast.com and listen to Shapiro World from Monday because he talks about, David Shapiro that is, talks about the destruction of wealth in SA SA domiciled companies, not the dual listed, the ones that do their business within, mainly within South Africa. It's quite startling the amount of wealth that has been destroyed. Tell me how Brenthurst goes about its business. You choose the best offshore funds and you're constantly re-evaluating them, are you? Correct, Lindsay. So we spent, so, I mean, we have, we have established an investment committee and we spend a huge amount of time um, with, with economists, asset managers, um, and, and more importantly, more recently, of course, political analysts, because it does play a part and it has played a very important part in terms of the construction of portfolios. It's not the only reason, but it certainly has become a lot more prevalent and important in terms of having a look at, at, at investment strategies. And that investment committee spends a significant amount of time on our own research, ex external as well as internal. And from that, we then construct portfolios. Um, and each advisor obviously sort of spends time with each individual client to match um, that portfolio together with each individual's risk profile. Brian, thank you very much for your insights. It's not the newest concept in the world, but it's one that needs to be reinforced on a constant basis until things turn around in South Africa. It's just prudence, to my mind. That's Brian Butchart, the Managing Director of Brenthurst Wealth, and that was It's My Money. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of Lindsay Williams and various contributors and do not reflect the policy, position or opinion of any other agency, organization, employer or company associated with strictlybusinesspodcast.com. Assumptions made on the analyses are not reflective of the position of any other entity other than the speaker or the author. And since we are critically thinking human beings, these views are always subject to change, revision and rethinking at any time. Please do not hold us to them in perpetuity.